The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour and Guy Adami. We're also joined by Mark Tepper, president of Strategic Wealth Partners. Tonight on Fast, it's an earnings palooza. Microsoft, Ford, PayPal, eBay, all on the move after reporting results. Many of those conference calls are just getting underway. We'll bring you all the big highlights. But we begin with the big mover after hours, and that would be Tesla, the company just reporting results. The stock is ripping higher despite reporting a revenue miss. We've got Full team covered standing by to break down those results. Fast Money friend Gene Munster is live for us in Minneapolis. But uh, Phil LeBeau has been digging in the numbers. He continues to. And we go straight to him in Chicago. Phil. And Melissa, the reason this stock is shooting considerably higher is because the adjusted EPS is a buck 86 profit for the third quarter. And that is far above what most people were expecting. The expectation, the consensus out on the street was for a loss of 42 cents a share. Revenue did come in just a little under expectations at 6.30 billion. The expectation was for 6.33 billion uh, in uh, revenue. And then when you look at their gross margins, 18.7% is what most of the analysts were uh, zeroing in on in terms of what the expectation was for the third quarter. Remember, many people believed as they were increasing Model 3 deliveries, especially at the higher price point, that we might see higher gross margins. Well, the auto gap, uh, the gap auto gross margins came in, coming in at 22.3%. A couple of production notes. First of all, trial production has begun at the Shanghai plant. Remember, they're going to be ramping up production and deliveries in China as they head into the end of the year. The Model Y, according to Tesla, is ahead of schedule with production beginning in the summer of next year. And there is limited volume in the Tesla Semi coming next year as well. The conference call, Melissa, that's the one that everybody's focused on because that's when we hear from Tesla CEO Elon Musk. That'll be coming up a little bit later on after you guys are off the air. But you can bet that's going to be the focus. Phil, um, gross margins, as you mentioned, 22.8, which is sequentially better. Gap gross margins were better sequentially also. And cash and cash equivalents were better um, year on year as well as sequentially. Um, what stood out to me, Phil, in this is that there's a lot of emphasis, no surprise, on the Shanghai factory. And in fact, they, yep. it looks like they changed the format of their investor letter. It's very different. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, which it's far shocking different, to which me. is why the people in the newsroom right. were saying, Hold on a second. Exactly. What are we looking at? I mean, now you can actually compare numbers very easily sequentially as well as year on year. But they have a lot of color photos of the Shanghai factory. And that's, I think, where a lot of analysts have a lot of questions, right? I think that's going to be a, a primary focus for all the questions uh, on, on the conference call. Melissa, remember this. China is not only the world's largest auto market, it is the world's largest EV market. And I've been there. I, and I know others have been there as well. Tesla is a brand that stands out with Chinese buyers, and they know that. So if they can get a, a successful launch with this factory over there, if it's not a messy launch, if it's clean, they have a real chance to really uh, do very well, at least initially in China and Beijing and, and the Tier 1 cities, and then filter out from there. All right. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau in Chicago you bet. with the latest on Tesla.
What did you make of the quarter, Guy? Well, I'm looking through it now. So it was 185 in May, the stock. I incorrectly now, in retrospect, thought the move up to 255 squeezed out a lot of the shorts into this earnings period. A 26% short interest. I thought the majority of them gotten squeezed as this move higher. I thought the trade was to fade this move. That was incorrect. You pointed out all the good things in the quarter. Margins were excellent. Revenue's disappointing. I have no idea where the EPS came from. That takes some digging. It's going to be interesting to see what they say on this call. The conference call is always a wild card. I'll say again, I don't necessarily believe the story, but I didn't believe it at 255 either, so you've got to sort of reevaluate things. Yeah, so good for Tesla. I mean, this sounds like it was a great quarter for them. I'd love to see what they actually have under the hood when it comes to that EPS number. Uh, But some of the things that concern me about Tesla, which still makes it a no-touch for us, is you do have all these deeper-pocketed competitors coming out over the course of the next several months. You've got Volkswagen set to compete with the Model 3. You've got Porsche set to compete with the Model S. Um, And look what happened to Netflix as new competitors entered that market. So I I am concerned about the stock uh, in the long run. So, look, I'm short the stock. I'm shorted around these levels, even a little bit higher. But I I tell you what, the things that are the most important here are are really about the cash flow and are really about the earnings side. But what's interesting is the cynic in me said, hey, all I was hearing about was China. And this was an an attention diversion um, where I think, you know, look, they can begin production in China. China is an exciting market, but we don't really have to know what's going on in China in terms of true demand. We can just assume that China is a great place and diverting attention to China is great. But the the profitability here is the most important thing because the balance sheet is all I really care about. Uh, and when they also tell you that the, we think we're going to be well above 360,000 in terms of deliveries, that means that the fourth quarter is going to be um, by far a record quarter. In other words, nothing they've ever even been close to doing based upon the numbers we've had so far year to date, which is also extraordinary. I, I, I'm very cynical on that. Uh, the, the, the thing about the profitability that you have to remember is they are cutting CapEx. They are cutting OpEx. They are doing everything they can, and they did a minute restructuring, I I would argue, in most of 2019. So when you cut all of that, you should be more cash flow positive. And I think, can you really grow in an environment if if this is a growth story? But right now, the numbers that I'm looking at, um, they've answered a lot of questions, and I have not changed my view. Skeptics abound on this desk piece. (laughs) What do you say? Well, I I understand why they they are skeptics, and it makes a lot of sense to me, because we've been promised a lot of things in the past. We've had delivery numbers that were absolutely way out in the sky that did never occur. But can they actually get to some of these numbers? I mean, Guy, the one thing I would push back a little bit was you said disappointing in terms of revenue, pretty close to in line. I mean, it, was, it, it missed, but it's pretty close to in line. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting. I think also this, the possibility of what might exist, Tim, in terms of the China production, that sort of stood out to me when Phil was talking about that. That's begun. That's something that could go forward. And is that something that they actually can maybe take market share somehow over there where there's already plenty of EV competition? So I think there's a lot of interesting things about this right now. The cash and cash equivalents, you brought that up, Mel. That's something we always care about. That's something we always look at. And it seems like that number's not bad. So there's a lot of, I wouldn't say great things that came out of this, but I'd say a lot of not so bad and maybe pretty good. But can they continue to deliver? Are they going to deliver the 360,000 plus vehicles? That's but right now, you got to look at those miles. Highly confident. Be, you got to be pretty impressed, too, with if you're expecting about 18 percent and they're yeah. delivering 22 plus percent in terms of the margins, and maybe that's a projection towards 25 percent. 
that's going to be pretty interesting. I mean, I know these are all numbers that we all look at and we say, ah, sort of scratch your head at how real they feel sometimes. Yeah. But the numbers that we're looking at are the numbers we have to deal with. And right now, that's why I think we're seeing this huge spike in the stock. Yeah, a 14% right now. Let's get uh, more reaction to Tesla's results. Bring in Loop Ventures founder, Fast Money friend, Gene Munster. Gene, why do you think the stock's up so much? Um, Melissa, it was a, this is a great quarter for him, and I uh, reluctantly use the word great because I think it's such an emotional stock one way or the other, and I don't want to pick sides here. I want to stay straight and narrow down the road. And specifically what happened, and in hindsight, they kind of told us that this would happen in their June uh, letter, that they've been recognizing some revenue from the deferred component. That is, is probably the biggest missing piece between that revenue fractional miss and the strong earnings is that they have, call it, $880 million in deferred revenue. Last quarter, they said there was $567 million that would be recognized over the next year. But the piece that they said, the incremental piece that we learned from the letter that they just put out was that they still have, they still have nearly $500 million to recognize uh, going forward. And so what that probably means is a portion of this upside in earnings, uh, maybe considered a third or a half of it, was related to deferred, essentially, 100% margin revenue that came from this full self-driving feature that they've been selling. So uh, the reason why that uh, is an important factor, and this is, is this, uh, when you think about this quarter relative to the Tesla story, is that the deliveries have been moving in the right direction. I'm surprised at their guidance, uh, calling what we'll call for more than uh, 100 probably in 510,000 vehicles, record number in the December quarter. But the earnings piece, their ability to shave off this deferred income, uh, makes it uh, more easy for the company to uh, essentially uh, improve that earnings piece, which obviously has been one of the negatives around the story. And they can sustain that, that $570 million. They could uh, take pieces of that over the next two years. And so this whole idea that this is going to, we're one quarter away from things kind of collapsing, I think that story took a step back and the overall story took a step forward today. Um, in terms of the other items, what Phil and I were talking about were all of the Shanghai pictures. Um, the Shanghai Gigafactory looks like it's ahead of schedule, according to this newsletter. If we can take a look at some of those pictures, Gene. Uh, how big of uh, the bull story is that? How big of the 14% rise in the after hours is Shanghai? I think it's a small part of it. I think the mm -hmm. bigger part is this earnings piece, and you can just see some of the leverage, how they pull off the deferred and the impact on EPS. I think that's the biggest piece. Shanghai is important. Put it into context, call it 15% of Tesla sales come from China, and that is at products that are essentially 20 to 40% more expensive because of tariffs. Some of those, not all of them, will be eliminated. So that opens up uh, this big market from a logistics standpoint, from uh, making the cars more affordable. And uh, that my guess is that guidance, uh, the, the delivery guidance for December, uh, assumes that, I uh, haven't had a chance to go through the whole release here, but assumes that they are going to be sh uh, delivering some cars into that big market. So that's an uh, important factor. I would put that number two behind the earnings and the importance of the, the call tonight. Hey, Gene, it's Tim. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about the profitability. And I think you're getting at it with the deferred revenue uh, ability to have some flexibility in those numbers. Because the second the confusion for me is second quarter was record numbers uh, and record, you know, record cash burn and a, and a major loss. Uh, and you had dynamic where we we really didn't see any improvement. And in fact, the revenue mix uh, for the three versus the X and the S um, is really been leading to less profitability. I mean, those those other cars are cash cows and the revenue mix now has them at about 20 percent of the 
overall revenue. Um, how is margin getting better here? I'm very confused. So in the June quarter, the margins were negatively impacted, especially on the SNX, which had a big impact on, a, on the overall margins because uh, essentially they had a new model. This Raven uh, model was coming out, so they're discounting some of the old models that had a negative impact on average selling price and margins, too. And so I think that that probably has played, uh, that dynamic about what happened in June has played an impact in some of that, uh, the movement back. I also think that uh, the reasons why margins move higher is there is some form of efficiencies that they're gaining. A year ago, we were, uh, there was a lot of uh, focus on their ability to actually manufacture. Uh, well, it's far from perfect. I think they've made some improvements there that have impacted margins. And then the last piece, we talked about the deferred income piece. Uh, a unique uh, aspect to the Tesla story. No other car company has this uh, model where they can upsell a $5,000 option that's pure margin and recognize it over time, and I think that impacts margins as well. All right, Gene. Uh, thanks, Gene Munster. Oh, actually, Gene, you know what? Before we let you go, Professor Got a Munster, grade. Mm-hmm. We, we need a grade <laughs> Got to go to class. Um, I'm going to give it an A-. minus. Um, uh, just with Elon involved, it's he's so... Uh, polarizing. It's, it's, uh, I need to apologize for, for giving uh, uh, a grade that starts with a vowel with this, but uh, this is really a good quarter. They show that they can continue to grow. Uh, the end-demand question is not as significant, and on the profitability side, uh, I also think that there was a measurable step forward here. As someone who is short the stock, I would be, I'm not short, but if I was short, I would be concerned at their ability just to keep uh, uh, turning the screws down in the quarters to come. All right. Gene, thanks. Gene Munster, A- minus on the quarter. We see the stock uh, after our session highs up towards 18%. Now, some of the other headlines that we I don't think we verbalized but have come out in that uh, shareholder letter. The model-wise, I had a scheduled production expected by summer of 2020. Um, positive gap net income going forward. Positive quarterly free cash flow going forward as well. Quickly, Guy, on this move. It's... You know, again, I, I start, by the way, I finished the last uh, time I spoke, that the huge short interest, I thought majority of those shorts covered into the quarter. I was wrong. I think that's what you're seeing now. I mean, I'm not suggesting a lot of this could be machine-driven as well, and Pete can speak to that. It's a staggering move on the back of what was a good quarter. But, again, I think you have to wait and hear what they have to say at 6 o'clock when we go off air. Anything can happen on this conference call. It looks great now. Things can change very quickly. Yeah, we're up towards levels we have not seen since March. We actually broke that 300 level. So this is something we'll, we'll keep watching throughout the after-hours session. Meantime, another big name after the bell, Microsoft. That stock's been volatile after hours after reporting earnings. Josh Lipton's in San Francisco with the highlights. Josh. Uh, so, Melissa, just besides the bottom and the top, one other number to call out here would be Azure revenue growth, 59 percent. That is a deceleration sequentially and year over year. Of course, there were plenty of, of folks on the street who were looking for that deceleration. In part, they say just the law of large numbers kicking in here. Another metric to point out, commercial cloud revenue. Um, remember, that would include Azure, uh, Dynamics 365, other cloud properties, $11.6 billion in the quarter, gross margins 66 percent. I did catch up uh, with Kirk Matern over at at, at Evercore ISI. Just to get his take on the quarter. Kirk argues Microsoft keeps delivering against high expectations. And one metric he points out, commercial bookings uh, up 35%. Kirk said an incredible number just given Microsoft's size and scale. The growth in the cloud, he says, now translating into real earnings power. He says that's going to drive the stock higher over the long term. As to why the stock isn't doing much right now in the after hours, uh, Kirk saying, listen, it's, it's a well-liked, well-owned stock. And yes, this quarter was good, in his opinion, but we're waiting for guidance. Remember, call starts at 5 30 eastern back to you melissa 
All right, Josh, we'll check back in with you uh, when that call gets underway. Pete, i got to turn to you on Microsoft. Yeah, they were, they've been crushing it, and I think they're still crushing it. But this run into this number, absolutely, and I think that's something that he was touching on there. But also, let's even look a little bit deeper and talk about gaming and some of the other categories where they're still winning, and they still continue to show us growth, Mel. So there's a lot of reasons to really like the quarter. You can understand why it's probably not popping, though. Mm-hmm. And I think the guidance is going to be the real key. I mean, what are they able to tell us next? What's next? That's what everybody cares about. They already kept the stock where it is because of this big run-up, because of everything they delivered, but now it's about what's next, and can they actually give us even more? If they can, this is a stock that easily could be a $150 stock, I think, in a very short period of time. Let's play Choose Your Own Adventure. Oh, well, hold on. Wait, wait, that game. (laughs) I was going to say, is that that new one? Bear with me. Wow. If they give guidance that's right in line line with consensus, what does the stock do? Is it me or Tim? Oh, it oh, goes down. My adventure is down. Yeah. I'm taking the roller coaster down. Um, but, but here's the issue with Microsoft, and Pete articulated this well. I mean, the expectations are high. Um, but meanwhile, you know, you basically between IBM and the Red Hat merger and Work, mm-hmm. Workday, you know, you had, you had a lot of uh, negativity around cloud and cloud margins and cloud growth for people that have counted on cloud. No one's counted more than Microsoft. And the question is, in, in a world where cloud spend will be three times of all IT spend in the next five years, how commoditized and how crowded is it? And I think Microsoft struggles with that. They don't struggle on execution. Uh, and these guys have, you know, each of those components are $11 billion revenue businesses. It's, it's extraordinary. Yeah. You like software, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We like Microsoft. We own mm-hmm. Microsoft. So, um, you know, one of the issues is this stock is up like 35% year to date, almost double the performance of the S&P 500. So there's obviously execution risk and they did well, right? They beat on the top line. They beat on the bottom line. The only issue is Azure has slowed. So it was 64% last quarter, down to 59% this quarter. The street was expecting 62%, but there's nothing to be worried about here long term. Right now, they're the number two player in cloud. I think they're going to overtake Amazon over the course of the next few years. There's still a lot of legacy internal IT within uh, businesses. And there's definitely a need for their hybrid solution. Look, again, the last year, this quarter, 76% growth in Azure. It's 59 now, as everybody's mentioned. Still 59% is significant. Right. Three business units to Tim Point, all based at $11 billion. It's and crazy. I mean, the other side, quickly, operating margins. You know, let's talk about that real quick. 38.5%, I think. The street was looking for 35.3%. That's pretty significant of a business of that side. So when you see operating margin growth, to me, in that magnitude, I think it offsets the slowdown in Azure. So the fact that the stock is not lower, to me, says, you know what? I think it's actually a very good quarter. I think it goes higher from here. Right. Is that your adventure, mm-hmm. by the way? Yeah, I, she didn't ask me to I choose. Ask, I only asked you. You were the adventure. I only asked <laughs> love the you. fact that I was the only one who's entitled a, to go on an adventure. There's time still to ask other people. Uh, conference call in 12 minutes, meantime, where guidance will be given. Coming up, my, uh, Mark Zuckerberg getting grilled on Capitol Hill. We'll break down the highlights of today's heated testimony, tell you what it means for Facebook and the rest of big tech. And later, you'll hear from Credit Suisse chief equity strategist Jonathan Golub why he sees another market rally on the horizon. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, 
a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Pass Money. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg wrapping up testimony on Capitol Hill. Let's get to Elon Moy live in Washington with all the highlights. Hey, Elon. Melissa, that hearing was six hours long. It covered a lot of ground, but the focus was on Libra. Zuckerberg tried to frame it as a way to ensure that America remains the leader in global financial innovation and not China. I think are surely risks if, if, a, a, if, if a Chinese financial system becomes the standard um, in, a, in more countries, because then it would be very difficult, if not impossible, for us to impose our sanctions or the kinds of protections that, uh, that, that I think we're right to want to have oversight around the world. Now, Zuckerberg did promise lawmakers that he would not move forward with Libra if he does not get approval from U.S. regulators. He also said that he'd be willing to leave the Libra Association. But despite that six hours of testimony, it doesn't look like he's changed any mind just yet. Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters told reporters that she spoke privately with Zuckerberg after the hearing for a few minutes, but that she came away still opposed to the cryptocurrency, and she is not sure what it would take to convince her in order to back it. Now, Democrats also slammed Facebook on a host of other social ills, including election security and hate speech. Facebook has been systemically found at the scene of the crime. Do you think that's just a coincidence? Sir? Even Republicans, Melissa, even Republicans who were not on board with the broader tech backlash still were very skeptical of moving forward with Libra. Back over to you. All right, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in Washington, D.C. Would it be the worst thing for Facebook to not do this cryptocurrency would it be the worst thing yeah. no they, it's probably a good idea that they're yeah. that they abandoned it i think it was sort of a lost leader anyway i mean that's down the road i think it's taking now off the ball of their core business and i say this a lot i'll say it again with every being with every fabric in my being i want to dislike facebook for a myriad of reasons but i'll say it again technically it's done everything it has to do look at last quarter nobody leaves advertisers don't leave it sets up, in my opinion, extraordinarily well into earnings on the 30th. I think it's going to probably retest those highs we saw in July of 2018. doesn't give me great joy to say that, but that's what I think is happening What's here. with your deep-seated hatred of Facebook? There are, again, there are a number the of reasons. Forth, it's, it's, it's the Facebook it's unsavory. Yeah. Okay. The experience on the site. The way they deal with the media, the way they sit on Capitol, just everything about them. Well, he's on Capitol Hill because he didn't go down there. Call, no, I'm not saying just, just But just the way he presents it, that's just me. Five hours of testimony is yeah. not a good time uh, at all. By the way, and, and notable was Bitcoin's 8% pullback today yeah. on the back of what had been resurrecting and part of that rally on the way up. Um, I, I think the, the, the regulation around Facebook as it relates to antitrust or break them up or it could ultimately be a positive for the company. I really do in terms of shareholders and, and looking at the pieces and looking at these billion dollar businesses or these billion user uh, footprints that I think in the case of Instagram for sure are places where people see more value. I think in the short run, a company that trades at this multiple with this size and this, this, this base and this ability to actually grow their margins, um, is, it tells you exactly what Guy's talking about though. Nobody trusts this matter. Management team. Nobody feels they, they are 
they, you, you know, you invest in good management teams. Companies trade at a premium multiple based upon the quality of management, and I don't think we have that here. They don't know how to measure their business. They may not have a lot of folks' trust, but at the same time, people don't leave. To your point, they don't leave. They're still there, whether it means they're on Facebook itself or Instagram or any of their properties that they've got. Nowhere they've else got to go to them. share cat videos. There's, <laughs> and, and I find the whole Darn thing crazy, it. and I'm basically in the same corner as you, Guy, in terms of my dislike. But I think the reality is they've got all these verticals, Mel. They, we talk about it all the time. That's what they need to have. As a matter of fact, if they want to grow in the e-commerce, you understand why they want to have the Libra part of this whole thing. But I think there's better ways to do it. They could flush this tomorrow and still pull out another way where they could actually create themselves into a much better site. They just wanted to be very proactive. He's very young. I think everybody there, it seems like, is very young. So they're going in this direction, the quote-unquote Bitcoin or whatever you want to call that world. But I think that's the big thing right now. They could flush it tomorrow and start all over with something else. All right. You can read more about Zuckerberg's testimony on our website, CNBC.com. We've got much more Fast Money straight ahead. Microsoft on the move after reporting results. The company's conference call is about to kick off. We'll bring you the highlights. And later, the call of the day. We'll tell you what drove Apple shares to new all-time highs. Stick with us. Fast Money is back right after this. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Take a check on Tesla. The shares are still higher by a whopping 17%. This after a better than expected EPS, a slight miss on revenue, but more importantly, margins came in better. And they also said that they'd be free cash flow positive going forward. Uh, we'll keep our, our eye on this uh, throughout the rest of the session until 6 o'clock um, when that conference call gets underway. Let's stick with earnings here. Our next guest says there are two big themes emerging this earnings season that could have major impact on the markets. Let's bring in Jonathan Golub, Chief U.S. Equity Strategist at Credit Suisse. Jonathan, great to see you. Good to see you. What are those two things? Well, first, I mean, I think there's a couple things mm-hmm. going on. First, it, it seems like a horrible earnings season in terms of the growth rate, 
But there's but there's a drag from big cap tech, um, which has really been something we haven't seen the whole recovery cycle. Energy is a drag. But if you look at the average or typical or median stock in the benchmark, it's going to deliver a five or six percent earnings number. So it's going to feel much better to a portfolio manager than the index is going to appreciate. And what's important on the earnings that when we're seeing some of this on, you know, on the results we're seeing from tech companies, that the expectation is this is the worst of it for both energy and for tech, mm-hmm. and that we wouldn't go into next year, we're, we're going to see a, an uptrend. But fourth quarter is going to be like this. It's going to be a weak overall number. So in terms of the next, the rally to come, you're predicting one in 2020? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, and I think, I think we talked about this when we were here last time. There's, there's a very strange, we, we had a 30-25 target. When we put it out, people thought it was a crazy number. We hit it earlier in the year. And everyone was expecting me to, to raise it. And I said, I think that we're going to be dead money until we see the ISM bottom out probably sometime in early 2020. And I'm sticking with that. But we're getting closer to that point where you know, there, there might be some green shoots. It's a question of when we start to see that. But the question I'm getting from institution is when do you dip back into value? When are we going to start to see the data move? Um, what, what kind of leadership are we seeing? I don't think we're there yet. I think that we have to get at least through year end, but I think we're getting closer towards that potential turn. So you think ISM is going to bottom at the beginning of, of next year? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure exactly where. I think we're going to get a little bit of a, of a bounce of, you know, sub, sub, you know, 48 is low. But yeah, I think you're going to see the industrial data continue to weaken. I think the ISM is going to be here a little weaker, um, but we're getting kind of close to the end of this downward cycle. Do we see that hit continue to hit services? So services meaning, you're talking about like business services? Services like instead of manufacturing, you have services. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think that right now, if you look at the real theme in the market, it's that low vol defensive stocks have been, the, you know, have been the dominant theme. It's not growth beating value. It's low vol and defensive stuff beating everything. And, the, you know, the question is how much longer. I think that this has another three or four months to go. Um, and, and we'll really kind of keep an eye on is when is a time where you want to kind of think about the other side of that. But for right now, we're sticking with that low vol trade. And we think it has a little bit more legs. But Jonathan, it seems to me that that massive rotation that we got in, in August into September is, is what's happening again. If you look yeah. at the exact same movement in the groups, whether it's banks, a uh, bit of energy, industrials, and, and, and sure, they, you could say it was just a, another bounce off of because they essentially retested those lows. But to me, this seems to be um, gaining momentum. In fact, this allocation, uh, I would think, is part Part of what extends this market rally. So first, uh, you know, kind of taking your side and then and telling you, you know, the, the other side. Is, why, why I'm if you're wrong. looking at why you're wrong. Right? <laughs> but first, if you're looking at if you look at semis and hardware beating software, they're kind of telling you that, yeah, there may be something here. But the economic data has not come in any better. If you no, look at the expectation not. and we're going to see this coming up, capital goods orders, durable goods orders, things like that. They, they're, they're showing you know, indications that they're going to be weaker. And until we start to see that turn around, I think this is going to be a head fake. What do we really need to see? Interest rates need to get above two in order for, to, for this to be real. And we are not there. And I don't think right. we're going to be there between, between now and year end. All right. Jonathan, thank you. Good to see you. Jonathan right. Golub. Uh, interest rates above two. Does the market get, get worried? Since the market point? goes up, interest rates lower. market goes up, interest rates lower. The most interesting <laughs> thing today, and I know we probably got a Caterpillar reports. I mean, the Caterpillar report was a disaster. EPS missed by 8%. Revenue missed by 5%. Their full-year guidance, you could drive a truck through it prior. It was somewhere between 1206 
and uh, 1306, and they lowered it to 1059 to 1105. I mean, it's crazy how they ratcheted down numbers. By the way, this is a stock that's rallied from 113 in August to 135 where we are now, and the stock went up today. I mean, the market is discounting a lot of things, and now in terms of a name like Cat, looking straight at valuation. I think that's sort of what Jonathan is saying. And in terms of interest rates, it doesn't matter. It seems where the interest rate environment is, the market seems to want to go higher. Why do you think Cat moved higher? Well, Cat, Cat fits my thesis, though. I mean, my, my view is that you can make an argument on valuation for Caterpillar. You can certainly make an argument on a lot of the other things that moved. And, and so... Look, I don't think we're going to see a major rebound in the PMIs and the leading indicators. And I, I kind of agree with Jonathan's thesis, thesis. But I do think you've had such a major rotation. Some of this is just technical in terms of where the bond market went. Um, and the question is, I, I think everybody's saying this, have we bottomed on yields? Because if we have um, equity markets for the short term, love that. Uh, I know that the lower rate was a reason to give us all a chance to kind of kick up our multiples where the market could trade. But that's what we needed to see. And so far, so good. Right. The other surprising mover I thought this morning was Boeing. Boeing stuck by its forecast for the 737 MAX to return to service by the end of the year, um, which they acknowledge is dependent entirely on the FAA deciding to clear the 737 MAX for service, and the stock moved higher. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with them increasing their estimates for the 737 MAX production by 35% for next year. Now, whether or not that happens remains to be seen. It does have to get back in the air first. But I think there is some room for optimism there. I mean, this thing has just been way oversold. Um, You know, if it was going to drop below 300, we were going to back up the truck and buy some, right? And it's moving in the opposite direction right now. So I think we're... uh, I was waiting for that same thing. It never got there. It never got there. I kept saying, you know, if it tests those lows, it was actually like 285. Yeah. God, I got to get in this name. But I never got the opportunity. But but if you you think that that was it, then you should be buying the stock anyway. You're right. And I look at it all the time. And the production, the idea that they're going to increase the production, and that's something that I think everybody hung on to today. Because when they looked at the numbers themselves and the losses, they've been a cash flow freak show, right? Well, they actually lost cash this past quarter. So there's a lot of reason to look at the quarter and say, oh, it's terrible. But when they start talking about ramping this whole thing up, that is pretty interesting. And are they going to return to where they are? This is a stock that's had everything thrown at it, and yet here it is pushing towards 400 again. I I mean, it's unbelievable. But what I don't understand, and maybe call me a skeptic, (laughs) is why are investors believing their forecast for ramped up production for the 737 MAX next year when there's so many ifs standing in the way between them and their own forecast, namely the FAA, the FAA. and yes. the regulators around the world, not just in the United States. And God only knows what other headline risks. I mean, we saw that, I think, yeah. last Friday when they, they unearthed these instant messages internally is what one analyst from a few called. years yeah. ago. I mean, you have to believe they're going through with a fine-tooth comb, anything else. I do... I understand what everybody's saying. The valuation argument has been fantastic. At 340 on the turn to Tim's point, maybe you get in now. But I still think the headline risk is so significant that you still got to wait and see. All right, coming up, Apple hitting another all-time high today. As one top-ranked analyst says, this record rally is just getting started. We'll tell you who has the newest, highest price target on the street. And later, it is the most wonderful time of the year for retail. Why the race to Christmas... Holy is cow. about to kick off in a big way. We'll explain when Fast Money returns. Wait, tomorrow? Yeah. Wow. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple hitting a fresh all-time high today on the back of a Morgan Stanley price target hike. Analyst Katie Huberty raising her price target to 289. That is now the highest on the street, so as Apple's record rally 
really unstoppable. And, and Pete, this is uh, your favorite analyst yep. on Apple. And I think street. she has been generally right better than anybody else. And I know she's not the highest ranked one. I know, I know there's a ranking system out there. But I've always followed along with her, and she's been right, in my opinion, more than anybody else. And now all of a sudden she raises to be the highest on the street. Pretty aggressive move on her part, but I love what she's looking at right now. And she's talking about what does the TV really mean for Apple and how is that going to be going forward and how many are, people are they going to get either subscribers or maybe free through other buying. I think that she makes a lot of sense because we all know the ecosystem here. We all know how Apple really works. They get you into that trap. They hold you in there. Everybody's going to be a member. If you've got a phone, I've got a phone. Your whole family's going to have to have the phone. And that is the growth area. We finally got underneath that. I thought it was a good thing, and now it's turned out to be a good thing. That When the phone went under 50% of the revenue, I think that was a great thing, actually, because then it's about services at 21%. It's about wearables at 10% of the revenue. And now you've got the 48% on the phone. That can continue to stay somewhere in there or maybe even shrink. But I think the services and wearables is the area. That's the margin. That's the growth. And that's what she's talking about this feeding into. Yeah. And what we heard from Texan yesterday really underscores the sort of the dichotomy between the chip makers that go into the Apple well, supply chain versus the chip makers that go into sort of more industrial, industrial areas, right? And the Texan, well, we could talk about Texans, but, you know, to Pete's point, Apple Pay, I think, took over from Starbucks in terms of, you know, Apple Pay payment system. So that's got it going for it as well. And again, we'll mention it. It really comes down to a bit of a math problem. And you say to yourself, you know, they're going to earn $12.75 or thereabouts next year. I think she's doing the math and saying this blended multiple comes in somewhere around 22 or 23 times those earnings. So that gets you straight to 289. Yeah, so it seems like a lot of people are underestimating the potential of this Apple TV Plus. Um, and, and what Katie has basically arrived at is, is she's assuming that one out of 10 Apple iPhone users by 2025 adopts Apple TV Plus, and, sh- and she's getting to that number by looking at the adoption of the Apple Music service, right? And if that happens, all of a sudden, now you're looking at services growing at 20% year over year rather than low teens. And again, all recurring revenue, whereas the old business model was one-time revenue. This just shows you the leverage, though, in in the multiple. And now we're not even debating services. We're not even talking about, hey, if they could ever monetize the one and a half billion uh, installed base. This is a function of people now. Uh, and, And the other thing you have to remember as an investor, though, in Apple, you have these extreme emotional sentiments in one way or the other. We we are now getting to a place where the street is very much on board and we're seeing these these massive upgrades. And, and obviously, you have to start thinking about where have we gone sentiment overload. Uh, I don't think we're there yet. I'm long and I'm very excited about this dynamic on services. But you have to remember when this stock gets overbought and oversold on sentiment and we're getting to over overbought. Why do you think of that, Pete? Because I feel like there is a contest on the street as to who has the highest price yeah. target. And Feels last week, way. I think it was, it was Raymond James. Oh, wow, with the highest price target on the street. Yeah. And now it's Morgan Stanley with Katie Huberty. Yeah. And, and let's go back. At, we had Gene Munster on earlier. To, he actually has a bull case for Apple at mm-hmm. 350 Now, that's not his target, but I'm just telling you, if the right. bull case, he's got three different cases where he, that he lays out. I think the other interesting thing, Mel, in this low-rate environment, one of the things that Katie pointed out as well is the dividend along with the buybacks is a yield of about 8%. That's only going to get better, I think, because they continue to, the buybacks, that continues the huge cash flows and the dividends, they important. continue to raise that up as well. In this environment, at 8% number, that's pretty impressive. All right. Coming up, Amazon gearing up to report earnings after the bell tomorrow, and the options market's implying some pretty interesting moves on the results. We'll break down the action, but first, a trick-or-treat. Mm. Retailers are hoping that Santa will upstage Halloween this year. 
Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Don't look now. We're just 62 days, 62 days Only. away from Christmas. And children and grown-ups alike are gearing up for the most wonderful time of the year. But wait. Thank you. Target and Walmart are already in the Christmas spirit, announcing plans to release special deals, earlier store hours, and quicker free shipping options, in some cases as soon as this week. So is retail's big bet on Christmas just days before Halloween going to scare off shoppers? We were just having this extended conversation about how Tim likes to shop. Yeah, I'm a last minute guy. Let's, let's be clear. So I, this this early this early access is not something I'm looking for. But it, it, we are defining a, a new time horizon. Black Friday no longer is Black Friday. I mean, there's uh, the internet has changed the way we shop and the way we we actually look at the calendar. So um, smoothing out this earnings season for a lot of retailers, I think, is ultimately very healthy, just in terms of understanding and predicting the business. Uh, that's the good news. The, the the other good news for for Target and Walmart is truly both a top down and bottom-up story. Their consumer is doing very well here. And what we've heard from these folks in terms of consumption and the reason these stocks have re-rated to multiples they have not traded at is because that consumer right now is still in good shape. That's not going to change between now and even if you believe we're at peak labor, um, I think this is going to be a very strong season. Yeah, so I'm sitting at home in Cleveland yesterday before mm. catching my flight out to New York. Um, my son is sitting there at the kitchen table mm-hmm. with the Target Christmas magazine circling his wish list already. <laughs> Eight years old. I mean, he knows what to do. It came in the mail yesterday, and he's sitting there circling it. So, look, I think it's going to be a good holiday season. Walmart CEO recently said that there's two indicators that really dictate the success of the holiday shopping season. The first one's unemployment rate. We're at 3.5%. doesn't get much lower than that, right? The other one is gasoline prices. Gasoline prices are essentially flat year over year. So I think, uh, I think we're in store for another record year. It should be an interesting earnings season for the retailers. I mean, obviously, they come out with earnings a little bit later. We might get the first couple of weeks of the holiday shopping season. <laughs> right? And, and in these numbers. In, 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 on the conference in, in, call, at numbers. Right? God Crazy. help us. <laughs> It's madness. Just because the ho 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 happens before gobble gobble. Long before gobble before gobble. Halloween. I haven't put nice on my the Halloween gobble, next gobble, next week or when is Halloween? Mo- whenever that Monday is. It's exactly. Yeah, you really are. I'm the Grinch. I'm the opposite of Grinch. You're the dog. I'm the dog, Max, Max. with the with the reindeer head on my thing. You want to shop somewhere for Christmas? Go to Costco. That sucker, I think, is going high. I'm advocating a gross of toilet paper for your loved one. But that sucker, that's that's where you shop. Yeah, heat miser. From the countdown to Christmas to the countdown to Amazon coming up, we'll break down what you can expect from the company when it reports results tomorrow after the bell. And speaking of earnings, ServiceNow also out with results. Jim Cramer is going to sit down with the outgoing CEO, incoming Nike CEO, John Donahoe, on the back of the results. A full interview coming up top of the hour on Mad Money. We are live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The big tech earnings slate continues tomorrow when Amazon reports after the bell. It's been a mixed bag for big tech over the last few months, and Amazon has actually been the group's worst performer after taking a big hit in August and failing to recover. The stock has underperformed the S&P by nearly 12% since August, and the options market isn't expecting tomorrow's report to put much of a dent in that deficit. Mike Coe is in San Francisco with the action. Mike, what are you looking at? 
Yeah, so the options market is implying a move of about 4%, and that's less than the 4.7% or so that it has averaged over the course of the last eight quarters when they've reported. They're going to be reporting their third quarter, which has historically been the most volatile over the last 10 years or so. We're looking at an average move of about 9% during that period. And one of the trades that we saw today, though, is targeting a very small move and a very small range, too, actually. We saw somebody buy 300 of the October 25th weekly 1795-1800-1805 call butterflies. What are they doing there? They're basically targeting that middle strike, 1800, and it has to be between the other two for this to be profitable. The thing is, they spent only 16 cents for that, and it can be worth as much as $5. That would be a payoff of about 30 to 1. So if you look back over the course of the last 10 years or so, this only would have worked out twice. But you still would have been profitable because you would have gotten that 30 to 1 payoff the two times that it did work out. So a very low probability bet, maybe 5% or so. But if it happens to hit 1,800, this person could see a pretty big payoff. Mm. Uh, Pete, what do you think of uh, Amazon tomorrow? You know, I, I, I know that they control the industry. We talked about Microsoft earlier. We talked about the earnings. We wanted to hear the guidance and all the rest of that. But I, that's the competitor. I think it's AWS against Microsoft. The e-commerce side of it, we know they're very strong. We know they own the, the world in terms of e-commerce. I, I, I continue to think that this stock has a lot more room to the downside than the upside. All right. Mike Cohen, San Francisco, thank you. And we will see you on Friday for the full show, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up next, we got the final trades. Welcome back. Another check on Tesla. Wow, 20% in the after-hour session. After-hour session highs, better than expected quarter. Um, positive free cash flow guidance quarterly uh, going forward. They're going to hit the year-end delivery numbers. So um, we'll watch this into tomorrow's session. And Tim, you've got a big day tomorrow. It's exciting. So yeah. tomorrow, what is October? It's Rocktober. It's also time for Rocktoberfest, which is the annual hedge fund competition, battle of the bands that takes place for a charity I've been involved in called A Leg to Stand On. Yeah, that's me playing the drums. And and it's a wonderful, wonderful moment. Sold out uh, Times Square Hard Rock Cafe, Mm -hmm. raising money for a charity that effectively does prosthetic uh, limbs and corrective surgeries for kids in emerging markets, changing their lives at a time when you can do it. So, hey, you can still show up. There's still a few tickets left. Go on to ALTSO.org. And support. It's a great charity. And your so, band is you. Jam Partners. Jam Partners. Yep. Uh, so check us out. Playing for an hour. We're going to do like a 70s set, so it's going to be kind of cool. I know it sounds boring, but for those, you know, maybe for get, maybe they'll get Guy out for I, that I hope one. you wear but, that shiny uh, shirt. <laughs> yeah, the shirt. Yeah, there is. I think I've, I think I've parked that shirt in the uh, <laughs> in well the been. pile. That's made the scrap pile. But it's, All right. Thank you. Time for the final trade. Pete. You know, we talked about chips yesterday with Texas Instruments. The, where they are, the category, it's not great right now. That's why they were suffering a little bit. Micron Technology, this son of a gun's going higher. Gideon. Yeah. So I talked about sentiment being high in Apple, but that, that doesn't mean you should be selling the stock here. I think you have to be aware where that sentiment is. Meanwhile, the multiple is very defendable at these levels. Mark. Blackstone. So another great quarter. Money's coming out of traditional stocks and bonds and into private alternatives. Blackstone's best of breed. Don Henley. Karen Carpenter, Phil Collins, Tim Seymour, drummers wow. and lead vocalists. <laughs> nice. NASDAQ. Nice, nice quarter. Carpenter. All right, see you back here tomorrow at 5 for Fast. Mad Money starts right now. <laughs> this podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.